This is episode 015. Welcome back to Starting with a Story. My name is John Lee, a recent college graduate who just happened to stumble upon a microphone. And each week, I hope to bring you a person or story that motivates and inspires you to grow and connect with more people every single day. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now, let's get to our story. Welcome back, story listeners. Please help me welcome our very special guest today. His name is Michael McCormick. So I actually met Michael quite recently. When I was volunteering in Kansas City, Missouri, my volunteer director, Tim Devney, shout out to Tim, recommended that I reach out to Michael about my creative pursuits and my podcast. And so I reached out to him and Michael actually organized an article interviewing me with the Catholic Volunteer Network. Let me just say that I had a wonderful time doing that and got to hear a little bit about Michael's story and thought it would be perfect for you guys. In today's episode, we really dive into several topics. We discuss finding your calling, how one can work to overcome a deep loss, the beauty of volunteering, and so much more. Now, before we start, I just want to inform you that there is a special tribute on our website page for this episode specifically, and you'll find out what it's for in the episode. I would truly appreciate if you visited that page after listening. You can view the page at startingwithastory.com slash tribute. And without further ado, sit back, relax, listen, and enjoy. Welcome back, Story listeners. Please help me welcome our very special guest today. His name is Michael McCormick. Hey, John. How's it going? Hey, starting with the Story listeners, how are you all doing? Thank you, Mike. Thanks so much for being out here. It's it's really great to finally, uh, you know, this is the first time I've seen you in person over over a computer, but it's the first time I'm really talking to you face-to-face. I'm really glad you're out here. He has some really great stories and a really great message, so I'm really excited for you guys to kind of meet him and get to know him a little bit more. Thanks, John. It's it's fun to be with you, too, because I heard about your story through a friend of a friend of a friend, so it seems it seems like one of those connection type of things, and getting to know about why you started this podcast was super interesting to me, too, so it's really exciting to be here. This is actually my first Skype call ever. <laughs> I've oh, done... you heard it here first, guys. First Skype <laughs> call ever. <laughs> yeah. I've done, so I've done FaceTime, mm-hmm. and I'm like born in 1986, so I'm mostly a millennial, but like a little bit of an 80s baby. Like <laughs> every now and then, like some things just escape my grasp, and so far Skype has been one of them. So I'm like pretty pumped that this is working. I can see you. <laughs> awesome, uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is great. Technology is crazy nowadays, you know. You're basically here without being here, and it, it doesn't make any sense, but it makes all the sense, too, at the same time. <laughs> So, Michael, the audience doesn't really know much about you, so um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and your story. Yeah. my uh, So, my full name is Michael Cornelius Blaze McCormick, 
Oh, and uh, my the story is I was born in 1986 in Queens, New York. At that time, the same week I was born, the New York Mets were in the World Series mm. playing the Boston Red Sox. So, unfortunately, <laughs> if you're a Boston Red Sox fan, that didn't that no, no, didn't go too well I'm for Philly, you. Philly's yeah, <laughs> um, but it went great for everybody in New York, including my mom, who gave birth to me on October 19th, and then eight days later on October 27th. That's my mom's birthday. Plus, the Mets won uh, either Game Six or Game Seven. Can't remember right now which game it was, but so my my birth in New York is I always tie it to that time, and unfortunately, it's been a pretty rough ride with the Mets ever since then. <laughs> uh, but I am loyal to them because they made it a pretty festive atmosphere for me to enter the world and meet my mom and dad. So I'm always grateful to them for that. And the reason, uh, you know, I was asked recently, what is in a group that I was a part of? Like, what's the meaning of your name? Hmm. And I don't think we have anybody in my family named Michael before. I know that it's uh, related to... If you're a Christian or Catholic, if there's Michael the Archangel, mm. um, I always also think that in 1986, Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan probably resulted in many boys being named Michael. Um, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what my parents' motivation was, but I know the one thing is my dad wanted to name me Cornelius, mm. um, which is a great Irish name. It's also like a bad playground name when you're four years old. So my <laughs> mom was like, you can't do that to him. You have to name him something more normal. Yeah, so yeah. that's how I became that's how I became Michael and unfortunately I'm not related to the McCormick Spice Company. That oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's just I mean they might be cousins of cousins but it, the connection's not alive to this day. Yeah, uh, you, you missed a big one. I, I use their seasonings all the time and it just makes food that much better, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean it does have benefits though because my mom's name is Rosemary. Uh, and the McCormick Spice Company does make a spice of rosemary that yeah. you can cook with, rosemary chicken, um, whatever you want to do with it. So my mom's joke is that, you know, one day when she passes on, she would like to be cremated. And that way we already have the jar with her name. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're all set in that regards. But, yeah, so. That's too funny. So thank you so much for, you know, sharing that part of your name. Like, that's such a cool foundation. So tell me. Um, I got to know you through volunteering and my volunteer coordinator kind of connected us together to kind of collaborate a little bit on the Catholic Volunteer Network. But how did you kind of get into volunteering and what was that story of the upbringing and what influenced you to kind of follow the path that you're on right now? Yeah. So uh, for for everyone listening to Starting With The Story, you, you may know that John was a volunteer and he did a, a special program where you're not only volunteering full-time, but you're living in community with other people. So I did a program like that, and it really changed my worldview, and it's still changing it to this day. And um, I, I keep seeing, I guess the one message, if I could even boil it down to that, would be it is like the prayer of St. Francis. Like when you, when you give, you receive. When you die, you are born into eternal life. And um, just by being a volunteer you meet so many people and you receive so much. And I, I feel like I'm receiving these things all the time, being um, friendships and, and chances to connect with people and get outside of myself. So that was the big motivation uh, for why I did my volunteer program. I wanted to get outside of myself and uh, be someone who was more shy and quiet and um, preferred, you know, to 
read books and things like that, uh, mm-hmm. kind of living in a dream imagination world all the time. You know, I thought, I thought I really wanted to do something important and more, more than myself, I guess. And, uh, there's a couple of things that went into that. So the name of my program is the Augustinian Volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening from Villanova University, you already know, you already know what it is. You know what Augustinian <laughs> means? Um, yeah, you already know that that's a, in the tradition of St. Augustine who lived in the 300s and had this, um, rich life and then went out to lead, lead the spiritual life after that. So my connection to the Augustinians is that when I was younger, I actually went to school pre-K through second grade at Trinity Lutheran Grammar School. So that was a German Lutheran grammar school known for being really strict. And my mom and dad like didn't realize how strict it was until one Easter they sent me to school with the little yellow um, marshmallow bunnies, the Peeps bunnies, for an Easter snack. But they didn't realize that every lunch at Trinity Lutheran, the principal and the head matron like went around with a garbage can and everyone had to display their lunch and if you had sweets or treats they were discarded before lunch it was a very strict environment what no dude no yeah i have this i have this memory of the bunnies being taken away and discarded (laughs) you know along with any other kid that had what jelly beans uh reese's pieces like halloween candy it didn't matter like yeah it didn't matter that it was a holiday so we left, we left that school, mm. I, probably not only for that reason, but in my second grade mind, I was like, I can't have my peeps, I can't yeah. go to school here. I have like to. the biggest reason that matters, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then I went to Our Lady of Good Counsel Grammar School in mm. Staten Island, New York, and that's an Augustinian grammar school. And the pastor at that school and parish is a, a guy that some of you may know of. His name is Father Joe Mastardi. Mm. And this is where John and I have a connection because Father Joe Mastardi stayed at that grammar school for seven or eight years and then left the Villanova University. And we, we didn't know anything except he was going to start a young adult volunteer program. So I knew he was going to do that. I went to high school. I went to college. Mm. I did some crazy things in between, crazy different jobs. You know, we can talk about all of those um, a little later on, but what what happened was I I came to be 27 years old mm-hmm. and wanted to volunteer, and I always knew that the Augustinians had this volunteer program, and I didn't want to do it because I thought it was a religious formation program. Uh, even when I told people I was interested in it, I think they thought I was pursuing ma- monastic life and that kind of thing. So I didn't understand it very well, but I knew that I knew at least the guy who had started it, Father Joe, so it couldn't be that bad. And it looked really cool in the magazines when they advertised it. They always had photos of people standing by the ocean and up on a cliff, and it was men and women, so it seemed very social and cool, and I wanted to be a part of it. And the other reason I, I really wanted to volunteer is a few months before making that decision, um, I'm the oldest of four, so my younger brother Tim passed away. Uh, in an accident when he was 24 years old and his name was Timothy Cyril McCormick Mm -hmm. and he's my he's my younger brother and both of us have two younger sisters who are still with us so right now it's Mm -hmm. me my sister Kate and my sister Claire but our brother Tim was a really inspirational guy that I could talk a long time about but Mm -hmm. um I just wanted to say his name and say that he lived in Indianapolis Indiana he was going to school at Indiana University Purdue University in Indianapolis, 
it's a mouthful, but mm. he uh, he was an EMS paramedic, and you know he was 24 years old, and uh, him and his partner, while driving the ambulance back from a run that they went on, mm. they got in a collision under one of those like blinking red traffic lights at oh, three in the morning. Goodness. So it's not really. It's not a red light, it's not a stop sign, and it's just a bad intersection. So um, there was an accident with with that ambulance. So my brother passed away when I was, I think I was 27 at the time, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was a, that was a huge, that was a huge change. And it's, it's important for me to say his name and talk about him, especially at this time of year, because a few weeks ago was the fifth anniversary of that. So, and, and one of the, you know, one of the things I always heard growing up that I didn't understand was I know that people say it takes like six years mm-hmm. to recover from a tragedy and a loss. And um, I thought like, man, that sounds like a really long time. And then yeah. and a year, two years after the accident, I would have days and weeks and months in a row where uh, it felt normal and I felt, you know, okay about life and death and everything. Mm-hmm. But I, I can say now really like five years later, it actually starts to feel different and I feel more, I want to tell people about him and show him his picture. And if I did those things before, it would kind of open the door to to all these like dark thoughts and Mm. gloomy things. And, uh, but so I just want to say his name and thank him for the gift of kind of propelling me out into the world because he was able to go something like 600 ambulance runs or medic trips in, two years of being an EMS. And I, you know, I thought to myself, if if that's not proof for you, how much of a difference you can make in this short trip that is life, you can just reaching out. You don't have to be a paramedic or an EMS too, is what I've come to learn. Like you can just talk to people, be a genuine person, be a genuine Mm -hmm. friend and just be a reliable person. And that means the world to people. So other half be someone that did these heroic deeds but uh you can really be you can really just show up and be faithful and try to give others hope when hope isn't there and forgive people when you don't feel like doing it and and all those little little ways of of being being a saint um so all of us have to figure that out every day and uh and yeah so six months after between six months and a year after that accident that was one of the major factors of of me wanted to be a volunteer and do um, do something in the world. Uh, at that time, I thought I have to do something to be like him. So um, now I have a better view about it. It's like, no, I think more like he gave me the gift of not in dying, but in living and showing how much you can contribute. He, he kind of changed my mindset and made me think like, you know, you, we, we don't live for, we don't live for ourselves. We live for yeah. other people. And, uh, so that's what, that's what brought me up to the brink of being a volunteer, a, mm-hmm. a childhood connection, a kind of random, um, shared connection that John and I both share years of my years of wandering in the wilderness through warehouses and ice cream shops and all these things in recession, Occupy Wall Street, New York. And finally my, uh, losing my brother at a, at a young age for him, but still a pretty young age for me to, to to lose a sibling. So those are the three factors that took me up to being a volunteer and seeing the world and uh, going to California for a year and all the adventures that came with that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it must be difficult to kind of talk about certain situations, especially with your brother. Um, I really, really do appreciate that. And it definitely shows that you're kind of doing your best to live that out in your life and, you know, affect the people around you and create that, that kindness that you're talking about. I was kind of curious about, if you don't mind me asking, how you kind of started that process to kind of healing on your own and also with your family and finding volunteering and how that kind of played a part into the healing process and your path now. You know, that that's a really good question. And it, I don't think I could have answered that question at all uh, the right way, um, maybe a year or two after the the accident. But um, volunteering did have a huge part in it. Uh, I would say for the first year, especially the first few months the accident happened in, right after Valentine's Day, I think February 16, 2013. So um, it was just a gray, down, cold, low time of year. Like, you, you know, we're all just getting out of that right now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, sure. so that was a rough just calendar time of year when it would have been a, a rough loss any time after. So I think before I could get better, I had to have a real low moment. So I made it through I made it through all the ceremonies, and there were two ceremonies because it happened at Indianapolis. There was funeral, a procession, and they shut down the city for that one. Um, everybody in uniform came out, so it was a huge production, which was mm. wonderful for you know the memory and um, honoring Tim and his partner Cody in the ambulance, honoring Tim and Cody's lives. But uh, honestly, it was like the the production of all of that. It takes a huge toll mentally, and we had to meet hundreds and thousands of, uh, it seemed like thousands, it probably wasn't thousands, but definitely like dozens and hundreds of people that we hadn't met before, but they had met my brother. So it, um, it, it, as wonderful as that is to have that support, it also like took a huge toll. And then we had to go back home to New York, Staten Island, where we're from, and have another ceremony. So, um, but anyway, a, a month after that, so, March 2013, I had, I just had such a crash. I, it was March the following year. Um, that whole first year was kind of a blur. I think it was in, everyone was just kind of operating in survival mode. Mm. Uh, sisters are still in school, trying to, they're trying to do their thing. I was still at my job in New York, trying to do my thing. So March 2014, just a little bit over one year, I had like a horrible, I didn't sleep on St. Patrick's Day. But I had already that new year when it turned 2014, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something different. I feel like I'm in a better place. And I found the volunteer program application. So I sent that in. I applied. I drove down to Villanova and interviewed in person. And then on the night before St. Patrick's Day, my sister had a really freaky, she, just had a fever or something and passed out and blacked out in our house oh and like fell down and we had to have uh firefighters like we called 911 and then firefighters came to the house and like six firefighters came up the stairs and picked up Kate and put an oxygen mask on her so we were like oh my god and oh, that, geez, you know, that opened up everything it. like mm-hmm. yeah I was like it's is this happening again so the next day everything turned out to be fine she had low like low iron mm-hmm malnutrition Uh, it was just the toll of a year of Mm. stress and recovery so 
But the day after that was St. Patrick's Day. So in the morning, I found out I got into the volunteer program. So I was pumped about that. I yeah. loved I was calling people, thanking the people that wrote me a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt great about it. But I had only slept like two hours. So I went home, like got really emotional and excited about that. But then went to a counselor that I was seeing. And I kind of had a breakdown in the counselor's office. And I mm-hmm. all the stress and like not only my brother, but everything I felt like my own life that I felt scared or fearful or guilty about everything, you know, that whole first year, I could only think of like all the things I'd done wrong and um, how I just did not measure up by, by my own scale, by anybody else's scale. So I, I just had this collapse and freak out, um, not really a freak out, but more just like a, a really just a super down day yeah. where, I wound up taking a week off work after that and, and having to go to some, some different, some head doctors, some body doctors, like what's going on. And I came out of that different and spring really started. So then the change for me was I had this direction, like knowing that I got into a volunteer program, I felt like, all right, that's, this is going to be the start of something. And I think that's really important to, uh, you can stay in the same place that you're at and wait for the seasons to move past you because everything will pass, um, including the sad times. Mm. Uh, but they pass a lot easier. So time heals everything. Everything will pass. That's true. Mm-hmm. You don't have to leave your home for that to happen. But if you do leave your home and you move with it all, it happens a lot easier. So mm. I think a good thing to do is no matter how uh, how much you need healing and how much you're trying to recover from something in your past. If you give yourself a direction to walk towards and a date to start something and a time to do it and something that you want to do, not something that, uh, somebody tells you is the way to, uh, this is what you need to do to get your life on track or this is what you need. To, you know, once you do this, you'll overcome whatever fears you have. Mm-hmm. That, that can be valuable at the right time, but I think healing from a loss, it's important to have something that you're passionate about and that you actually want to do. And you're going to be there on the first day of it because you'll feel good being there. So for me, it was that volunteer program. So that's kind of a a long way of how I got started with it. But then starting with the volunteer program, I had the chance to do something I, I never had to do before, which was to be in a room of my peers, people, you know, college graduates, you know, some of us were 21, 22 uh, right out of school and then others were in between and uh, there was me and one other girl Nicole we were both 27 years old mm-hmm. and what happened is I got to be in a room with people for 10 days before we started the volunteer experience we just, just got you the, guys for... just just us yeah us oh, wow. three of the three of the program managers um Joanna Hannah and Shannon at that mm-hmm. time now it's a guy a great guy named Taylor but mm-hmm. Um, we got to know each other. People made us meals. We made each other's meals. We explored the city of Philadelphia in the summertime. So this is all happening in August, mm-hmm. uh, 2014. And I, I just got to know other people and, and first of all, be invited to write something called a faith journey. So what, what's a faith journey? I don't, I don't know. know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> a journal, but, um, it's a journal about what you've been through and, uh, the real material world stuff you're dealing with, but also do you have 
you know, do you have a relationship with the divine? Are you mm. talking? Are you asking for what you need at night before you go to bed? Are you saying thank you when you wake up in the morning mm. to God who put you here and is like not going to abandon you? And uh, so it made me think about things like that that I hadn't thought about before. And I also had the chance to share my story and talk about what happened and what I was going through with a room full of not my family members or teachers or counselors, but other people my age. So that that was just a, a healing process and hearing what other people had been through. They There had been many other losses. There had been many people who were sitting in the room actively in recovery. Um, there were just like wonderful, beautiful stories happening and uh that made me really want to stick with it and you know be stay connected to that because when when it's all in your head you're gonna have a longer healing time but as as difficult and painful as it is like for me it was having to share it with other people mm-hmm. you know talk to and somebody that's not your mom and dad because as much as you love them and as much as they love you you um they were here they're the different generation and yeah. It's so hard to describe, but you got to approach them and be honest with them and tell them what's going on. But it is their duty to give you hope and joy, and it's your duty to give them some hope and joy too. So yeah. sometimes when you just you need some you need some healing, you really need to get through something. Like I think that has to happen with a stranger or somebody, at least somebody that's not in your family. It just seems to go that. Yeah, I'm not sure. yeah for sure. Again, really enjoy and appreciate that you found that kind of outlet for you to explore and really heal with other individuals. And what I, what I find very difficult is I did a lot of retreat work in college and love doing volunteering and being able to share and have that openness. But the, the most difficult thing for me was coming out of that and trying to continue and find that safe space to feel welcome and safe to share the darker parts of my life with other people or mm. people that I don't know. So I guess how have you been able to incorporate finding that safe space in your life after coming out of volunteering? Oh yeah. I, I think um, the habit of journaling, which the volunteer programs uh, restarted me on, you know, we wrote that first faith journey, but we wrote two others throughout the year. So that was a three part faith journey that you could look over when the year was over and see really where you came into the program, how you were doing in the middle and what you were thinking about when you ended. Um, I kept up that habit and what I still try to do today and what I hope to do the rest of my life, it's not always successful, but to uh, wake up in the morning and write down Madeline Lengel, one of my favorite authors. She, she said, you've got to have a journal where you can write, you can write your thoughts without editing yourself, without Nobody else in the world is going to read what you write on that paper except for yourself. And that's, that's very important because I don't know about everyone else out there, but I know for me, even when I'm writing a journal, I'm thinking about how the sentences look. Was that a cool way that I wrote that sentence? And like, there's always an observer and Mm -hmm. there's watchman, editor, censor person in my head who, Mm -hmm. so I'm not even writing the truth on paper about my dark spots and what's really bothering me. So you've got to wake up and write it down just so it's out of your head. And I I found this, there's a great, in Ireland, somebody has started a nonprofit. It's called uh, A Lust for Life. Lust and for Life. Mm-hmm. A Lust for Life. And there's an article on there 
about a woman who was recovering from anxiety and panic attacks and, and things like that. And she said one, one of the best things is she, she woke up and every day and wrote on a legal pad. She filled the whole page with everything, like the bad language, the self-berating language, like mm-hmm. the hatred towards others. Yeah, um, the animosity and all, all the negative energy. Like, yes. mm-hmm. Everything down on paper and then threw out that paper. Uh, in the wastebasket. Like, she would never read it again. She would just write it that one time and discard it. So, uh, journaling and trying to do things like that, that's a huge help. Another thing that I would say is seeing a counselor. And if you want to, like, I got connected in New York. This was actually after my volunteer experience. I lived in New York for a little while. I live in DC now, but mm-hmm. I got connected with a Jungian analyst there. That I had trepidations about doing that because um, I was like, this is kind of, I knew a little bit about Carl Jung from reading some books and dream analysis and mm-hmm. things like that. And I thought, I, this is kind of like forbidden stuff, or maybe not forbidden, but a little like eccentric. I am not sure about talking about dreams. That doesn't seem like a really productive thing to do, but <laughs> that was a, that's been a fascinating path for me that has continued mm-hmm. now. Dreams are something you can journal about and start to see patterns over and over again. I think in the context of your family and especially in our religions, we can make huge progress by becoming virtuous and acting differently, like changing our behavior to ask ourselves, what's the best thing we can do today for somebody else? How can we live out the Beatitudes? How can we honor our mother and father? Things like that. And that's first and foremost, I think. So first things first. But another helpful thing is, John just said it a few minutes ago, but to look at your own darkness because to pretend that we are all angels and spotless, the world throws mud on our face occasionally, but we can just wipe that mud off. Like, I just, that hasn't been the case for me. Like, when I feel free and liberated is when I feel, first of all, I pray and I think... You know, I believe that God sees me for who I am, like all those parts, and wants me to change and grow and be somebody that's not living in darkness. Mm -hmm. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, that famous quote. It helps for me to become conscious of what, you know, what biases, what hatred I have, like, towards others and myself and holding up that mirror and looking at, looking at the dark parts. So, so that was a helpful thing, like, analysis and or, or psychotherapy that's not in the context of your family school church like those it's something really independent that you can do and pursue so that's been really helpful and then i think that's awesome. mm-hmm. i think the other thing is just throwing yourself in the deep end so if you're a socially anxious person mm-hmm. there's probably a reason for that and running towards the things that you would wish to avoid you're going to make progress that way and also figure out what you realize that you are probably the only person holding yourself back. You're scared of talking to people that might actually, not all the time, but it might actually mean that you have a negative opinion of like what those people are. So are they mm-hmm. business people trying to get you to um, have commerce? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, put some money down, put your money where your mouth is. Like you might have all kinds of associations and things like that that mm-hmm. aren't really there. Um and talking to different people um, can help you get over that. And it's really nerve-wracking, especially when you're not socially confident. But but you can move past that. So so just being honest with yourself every day. And if you could only do one thing, I would say 
what works for me is to to pray an honest prayer, not to recite uh, what I learned in in, in school necessarily. Yeah. yeah, but to but to ask and ask for what I what I need, not not for the material temporal things that I think I want, but ask for what I really need, and then also just to let let out the um, all the black smoke in your brain and your lungs, like let that out on paper. This is Starting With A Story, and I'm John Lee, and we'll be right back with Michael McCormick. pressure to be happy and successful and like oh look at me i'm doing all these cool things what is kind of a, a big misconception that you feel is happening in, in the world today with all of this yeah i think we uh when i'm struggling to figure out something i always think of what's the opposite of that concept so when i think of technological enlightenment that we're having kind of a a, a new renaissance that we're having mm-hmm. what's what's the opposite of that and that would be instead of like an age of communication it would be an age of miscommunication and Mm. um instead of having enlightenment it would be in darkenment and i i think there's i think there's stuff like that going on so right you know you're catching me right in the middle of um i've slipped up a couple times but i did no social media for this 40 days leading up to easter that was my that was my thing to give up I was going to give up beer, but I thought, you know, like, say <laughs> it's coming up and, uh, oh, a couple of birthdays mixed in. So yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't quite want to give that up, but I, I did try to do social media and I think, mm-hmm. uh, I'm hesitant to really a more academic person than me could, could lay that out. But I think, uh, I think one of the misconceptions that we have is that somehow like social capital in terms of like likes and, and retreats and things like that will equal some kind of not only like happiness, mm-hmm. but it will equal some sort of stability, mm-hmm. uh, financial, emotional, or personal stability. And I think that's false. <laughs> we, uh, um, <laughs> no, right false. about <laughs> straight up. False. I think, yeah. uh, I think we share too many things online that don't have it's tricky Mm -hmm. like technology fire banks cash currency like nothing is bad or evil but it's the intention behind how we use it so i think as long as you know we're doing constructive things and making people making movies and making albums and producing like that that's great stuff and that's moving in the right direction and i think um i think the idea is to bring people together and give them equal voices and, and mm-hmm. platforms to tell their stories. So those are, those are great. I think there's a dark side that each one of us can probably say we live through where you're just comparing yourself to people and it's not real life. It's a, yeah. it's a mm-hmm. photograph. It's an image. It's a composite picture. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not real. And it's, it's, you, you got to work to 
get over that. And I think time outdoors, like leaving the phone in the house, like that drives my girlfriend nuts, but I just don't take the phone with me walk around for a while. So that that's one misconception. I think maybe hmm, that's that it was such a good question you asked. I think like who holds those misconceptions? So I think maybe for the baby boomer generation, the idea is that people are ready to discard all the old ideas and old ways of doing things. Uh, I don't have a specific way of talking about that, but I just don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily true. I think, uh, yeah, I'd like to chew on that one some more. Yeah, for sure. No, take Great your question. Time, take your time. Yeah, that was an awesome question. <laughs> oh, you're making me blush, man. <laughs> so we talked a lot about kind of since you were 26, 27 and on, and you had all these great insights about volunteering and trying to do those little yeah. things to make your interactions better, do something better for someone else. Was it always like that for you? And you kind of mentioned like your crazy stories uh, before that time, but was it was it always like that where you were just trying to do everything you can to give and do that with your life? Or how, how was it before that time? Well, I can tell you that it was very different. I would also just start by saying I still go through periods where it's the weekend. I don't want to deal with anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. Like I, mm-hmm. I definitely, it. That's uh, even being a former volunteer and now working for an organization that promotes volunteering. Mm-hmm. Some days, I've, I honestly, I'm, I'm going home thinking like, you know what? The best thing that everyone could do would be to like. Spend some time with themselves mm-hmm. in a locked room mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. deal with that. Like we would all be in better <laughs> shape than trying to manufacture like huge service projects and things like this. Yeah. So, and those are those are in my negative moments. So I mm-hmm. so talking about like honoring our shadow. My my shadow side is that like a really steep individualism where you don't need each other. You just need to find your creative voice. Be an artist, author, like starve until you get it right that's my dark side so yeah that i just want to say that it's not always mm-hmm. going out in the world and and being as kind as possible and yeah. helping people makes you human you know it's yeah, like, oh, yeah like you can't expect anyone to be able to do that <laughs> no way and the the people that are when you're fortunate to meet them mm-hmm. those are those are really saintly people yeah in our midst so um mm-hmm. so maybe maybe hopefully in uh, years and decades, I would love to get to that and forget myself and live for other people and always say yes. And when the door knocks, think that it's knocking for me and who can I let in? And I would love to live like that. But I can tell you earlier, it was, you know, I don't think it was age 21 through 26, like kind of being, I don't think it was like my selfish times or selfish years, but they were more like still an extended adolescence and an ignorance of First of all, how many opportunities are out there? Second of all, how many good people are in the world who want to help you achieve dreams? Like that is such a shift when you realize that there are people of every generation that care more about your happiness than they care about their own and they love you more than you love yourself. That's radical and and that changes your life. And I think, I, I think everyone gets to that just at a different time. So for me, it took a few years. Yeah, so we, we talked a lot about your story after college and after graduating and kind of your 27 and on, but what was it like in your early 20s, like right as college was coming to an end and that journey to start it before all of the events happened? 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think, I think that's such a funky time. Uh, <laughs> I'm loving it, it, it right just, now. It is so funky, man. It's funky. <laughs> it's funky. And it doesn't, um, you know, God bless the people that are successes at 22, 23, 24. Cause <laughs> I think, I think for most people, that's just not that time. Like, that's mm-hmm. when you're supposed to mess up and fall flat on your face. And that sucks because <laughs> if you're a good student, you're coming out of eight years of not really hitting any real walls or, like, yeah. teachers that are willing to work with you. And um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, for me, I wish I knew about the volunteer opportunities that I know of now. Mm-hmm. Uh, having done a volunteer year later mm-hmm. uh, was probably a good thing because I was more mature at the time. Mm-hmm. So maybe that would have been different at 21. But that's the thing is there were so many non-paid opportunities where everything else would have been taken care of. So I wish I knew about stuff like that. But mm-hmm. as it was, I do remember being in North Carolina at Elon University mm-hmm. and me and three friends, we went to a job fair spring mm-hmm. semester we went to one guy's house and put ties on for the first time like <laughs> years uh, probably for some of us um so we put ties on i'm fairly certain we had like a pump ourselves up just a quick beer oh, yeah. before walking Respect. over Amen. yeah so and then we got there and uh there was just nobody at this job fair from the employment point of view and then oh, i goodness. remember that's when i started thinking like oh there had been some things about 2008 and people having trouble from the previous class, like mm-hmm. in 20, 2007, not having any uh, prospects out there. And then mm-hmm. there, there was this one guy at this one table that was wearing a suit. He looked like he just came from Brooklyn, yeah. sweating a lot, and he didn't even have a job pitch. And he mm-hmm. wasn't really taking resumes. Resume. He was just asking, do you think you can sell 20-plus acres of real estate in Florida by <laughs> next week, midweek? And we were like... <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Like this is years before Better Call Saul or anything mm-hmm. like that. But this mm-hmm. guy was—he was just like a crazy character. And there were a couple other like very perfectly fine but unremarkable kind of sales mm-hmm. jobs. And at that moment, that started kind of a crazy. So I graduated not knowing what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. But my very first job, I worked at Enterprise Rent a Car. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I did yeah. the management trainee thing. I am not sure how much management I learned, but it was a bit talk about being humble. I had to go back to New York. I moved in with mom and dad. I was, I went on a family vacation with them and we rented a minivan. And we, when we returned the minivan, the guy who did the return was this guy, Ben, who he's talking to my mom. My mom's talking to him and come to find out that his mom, Ben's mom is the pediatrician that's all all four of us kids when we were little. Oh, wow. So and boring. from that connection, my mom bought home this business card, and, and she's like, oh, hey, Ben says uh, they're hiring Enterprise. It's like a nice place to work. You know, everybody is a college grad. It's a lot of fun. And I was like, all right, this can't be that bad. And mm-hmm. she was like, and he was like, he didn't never even met you, but he's saying give his name and tell them that Ben sent you. And I was like, wow, like this guy's really nice. Yeah. So come to find out later, he was a super nice guy. He was my best friend at Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Gave me rides home all the time. But he also got at that time like a thousand dollar referral for an employee. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> so that's why he was like, yeah, him really <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of a funny workplace 
at the Enterprise, I kind of decided I would apply to grad school, mm. and I went to all those open houses, and that didn't really work out. Mm. And I worked in a UPS warehouse mm-hmm. overnight for almost a, a little bit less than a year. Mm. I worked. At, I managed an ice cream shop after that. I managed a coffee shop art gallery, wow. and then uh, finally I got. I started writing again. I I joined a writing circle. So I never I never let go of that poetry and that love for creative writing, and mm. that led me to start a writing circle on Staten Island of people that wrote poetry and nonfiction and fiction and we would do writing exercises and it started out being in the coffee shop eventually we just had our meetings at this really awesome pub right on the water in Staten Island that you could see the city Manhattan all lit up and those memories are are awesome for me because people at that time were submitting their stories and essays and getting them published online so that that expanded my world and I realized yeah like this is this is cool people can write things and have a creative voice and put their stories out in the world. And I'm still fascinated by that to this day. But that those experiences led me to pick up the pen again. Mm. And in writing and doing more positive things, I got hired at a great company. The company was called Cultural Elements. Mm-hmm. And they also ran an online store called Buddha Groove that you can check out. I worked, I worked there for two years for um, a family business. Mm-hmm. And um, my one boss who really influenced my life and he he had such a positive effect on me you know it was a retail company with heart of culture and history and world religion behind it so mm. i learned about eastern traditions and cultural values and stories and mm. things i would have never found out had i never worked there and the, you know john the reason i was interested in your podcast was in your first season like you started off with maybe a one minute long story mm-hmm. for each one of your episodes and what what our tradition was at um, Cultural Elements and Buddha Group, those stories contained essence of the culture from which the art or the furniture that we had came from. And I think my boss tried to keep alive the origins and the root stories of not only where where he came from and where he was in life, but those parts of the world, India, Nepal, Tibet, mainland Asia, Japan, we would try to share those stories. So more than the retail part of the job, I love reading those stories, sharing them on the blog, and finding tons of those one-minute, you know, one-page Zen stories that yeah. have a beginning, they don't have an ending, They just but you're thinking about them all day. And mm-hmm. you know, your podcast reminded me of that. So, <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that made me want to want to talk to you and learn more. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, good. Thank you for sharing that part too. That that's really cool, and I'm really glad that the the episodes and stories from season one resonated with you, which is really cool. Buddha Groove. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely look into that. That sounds fun. Are, they still are around, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're they're doing fine without me. Uh, <laughs> I was very sorry to leave them, mm-hmm. and uh, it just came at a time in my life where I had started on the inner adventure, and I needed to take the outer adventure, and I. Um, I left more or less with their blessing and started my life as a volunteer in mm-hmm. California. But awesome. they are very much still around and still doing well. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of cool stuff on their site. The thing I enjoyed most about working there was getting to handle the stones and beads that were part of the meditation bracelets and meditation necklaces. And mm-hmm. a few times, you know, handling those or, you know, being allowed to 
take one home if we ordered like a thousand of yeah. one style, like taking one home and kind of trying my best as a Western person to meditate in that way, mm-hmm. using each feed as a symbolic of my world or symbolic of a person in my life. And then getting back to the, the first beat on the train, like every now and then that kind of unlocked my brain from the more rigid ways that I, I thought of to, to, yeah, I, I mean, I, I wish I could say it in a better way, but I, I had some of those moments of, Oh, this is, this is why people do this. I'm, I'm understanding something about myself or the world by meditating even on this 21 bead uh, bracelet on my trip home in Manhattan through the subway system. And one time I was doing that and I felt really, really peaceful. And two guys who were, uh, I, I think they were Indian, but they were sitting across from me and they just came over and one of the guys was like, what are you doing, man? And I was like, no, I'm, uh, th- I, this is just a meditation bracelet I got from work. And the guy said, he said, are you a priest? <laughs> and I was like, what? And he, he's like, He's like, you just, um, you really shocked me. He said, you look so peaceful. <laughs> and I was wow, like, so I was like, oh, I don't know. I just got into the zone with my, um, with my meditation bead. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think that guy took my email and maybe we, we talked a couple of times. So it, t- it didn't go further than that. But mm-hmm. so, so I thought about myself differently, but it also made other people perceive me differently, I guess. Yeah. Cause I do remember riding the train in some of those darker days and after the loss of my brother, you know, I would catch a reflection mm. in the train where when it closed and see like this gloomy person mm. and my eyes were very hollow and, you know, I, I gained a lot of weight and lost a lot of weight, uh, mm. soon after that. So I just didn't look like myself. I didn't have a self to look like. So earlier on in my journey, that is life. Like, mm-hmm. um, I would see myself and not recognize the, the man in the mirror and mm-hmm. my reflection. And now I, you know, I try to hold on to that reflection and see who's looking back at me. And, uh, so little things like that meditation stories, talking to the stranger, mm-hmm. the person who doesn't know me and I don't know them, but we both overcome that fear. Like that helps me see my reflection. And what we were talking about before, like, including the dark sides mm-hmm. of things, too. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I feel like my audience would be so upset if I didn't ask this question, because a lot of the audience is um, either in college or thinking about doing something after graduation. I know I'm jumping from topic to topic. I apologize for that. But if you had to give advice to anyone that's looking to do service or volunteer work or postgraduate service, either as a new grad or, you know, a few years out like yourself, um, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Mm, I think one thing that I would do that I lived through was just apply, applying blindly online. So I didn't get to meet somebody in person and mm. ask them about the program. So when I went to the interview and I was doing my application, I had just found it online. And that's kind of the way our world is. Like it, you you fill out forms online. Um, it's really user friendly, but also you, you you know you don't have a personal connection yeah, with no anyone. Connection you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you didn't you didn't shake someone's hand or mm-hmm. see the look in their eyes when they were talking about the program. So mm-hmm. I would try to go to a career fair, go to the campus ministry office, and ask people 
before just jumping in and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about this. Do we, do we have an alumni that, that did something like this? Does, mm-hmm. uh, does someone's brother or sister, did they do something like this? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be shy to call up the program either because the thing about volunteer programs is the people that work in those offices, their whole mission in life is to help other people, especially young people, find their passion and find, discover their vocation. Mm-hmm. And there's no better person to talk to about what kind of work you would do as a volunteer, what opportunities there are for growth. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would just say talk to somebody. Don't be, don't be shy to call. And actually that's the way to go against the grain and be a unique person mm-hmm. is to be brave and make a phone call and say your full name with confidence and talk about who you are and what you'd like to do because that's a way to stand out now because it went so far the other direction, but everyone has a profile photo and a, uh, LinkedIn and, you know, they're not even distinguishable from each other anymore. So, so you can make your stand self stand out just by being humble mm. and being honest. Like, Hey, I'm really scared to call, mm. but I'm thinking about doing this. Um, another thing I would say is if you apply and you get into the program, um, maybe I found it a little helpful to do volunteer work in my home area. Mm. Um, Prior to like, with, starting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because then you, uh, then you have less of the feeling that I think can happen where um, I hadn't volunteered so, so much in my previous life. Mm-hmm. But I think if you don't come from a background of volunteering and then you go into an in-depth one-year volunteer experience where you're living in a new city and maybe even a new country, you might feel like even though what you're doing is important and mm-hmm. valuable, you might feel like guilty. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't even volunteer in my hometown. Um mm-hmm. How can I come here and help other people? But first of all, that's not the case because everyone grows at different times. And sometimes you might, you may need to go really far away from home to discover. Now I know how I can be in any community and my home community and help out. And then um, again, keep a journal and write honestly in it. Like when you are feeling like this is a lost opportunity, you messed it up. Um, or it's not what you expected and outside factors are messing it up. You start to fall in love with somebody while you're doing it. You start to become something new and your soul is moving in a new direction. You'll write about all that stuff in a place where it's just yours to read. It's the book of your heart mm. and write it all down. Yeah, writing a journal. Amen. And, and just talking to people. I, I definitely wish I did more of that, just writing journals and talking to people to really evaluate what I wanted to do and if service was right for me. So I think, uh, I think a lot of people resonate with that. So thank you. So we're, we're coming to the end. I just wanted to take a quick second to kind of just say thank you to you and say that I really appreciate you being so genuine, humble, and transparent with your life and your story and the experiences you've gone through. I feel like there's a lot of great messages and a lot of great lessons that you were able to share with us today and really appreciate you kind of digging deep. And I think that's really awesome and really, really humbling for me as well. You know, I just, I want to say I admire that and I I wish you well on your volunteer journey and working with you has been a great honor. So I thank you for that. Yeah, John, I would also take a moment. Thank you for sharing your own life through the podcast episode that you're doing and coming more and more into this thing we call real life. One of the best gifts you can give people is a chance to tell stories. So by having people like me on your show, mm-hmm. you know, you 
told your stories and you're helping other people tell their stories now. So when we talk about healing and finding out who you really are, this is part of that. So you're giving voice to people. And even if you're the only one um, talking on one episode, you're, you're giving voice to yourself. And uh, I hope you don't lose that. I hope you keep, keep up and, and doing your thing. And I look forward to listening to, I hope, I need more episodes and, mm. and more seasons. So mm. um, blessings to you, John, and peace on all that you do. Thank you. Oh, I know you're going to keep uh, keep rocking. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're making me blush over here. Before we end it, I do have three last questions that are kind of more on the fun side, um, just to kind of get okay. more insight to you. But um, what's been the favorite chapter of your life so far? Oh, man. The, the favorite chapter of my life has been the last, 18 months because that's when I moved to Washington DC and being a volunteer was type of independence. And then after my volunteer experience, I had a little more independence, but still living home in New York. And now I'm in DC. I'm about 18 months into living on my own, paying my own rent, certainly having a support system down here, but going home and having a room to call my own. It's just, it's just a room in a house. It's nothing crazy, but it's my room. Uh, I'm really enjoying it and getting back in touch with the things that I love, which are basketball, writing, you know, spiritual growth, reading. So all these great things. So I, I hope there'll be many more happy chapters. But this most recent one has is, is definitely been the best. Amen. Wow, that's so awesome to hear. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> Second question is, if you had to give name to the next chapter in your life, uh, what would you name it? The name to the next chapter. The name of the next chapter of my life would be the the hero enters the cave. The hero enters the cave. I like that. I like the sound of that. Can you give like a short insight into into why? Yeah, because I've left home. Mm. I went through my initiation training type of phase. The volunteer program gave me all those gifts of affirmation. You know, they gave me, I, I have next to me a mug with my name on it. Mm. I have a necklace with St. Augustine on it. You mm. know, my girlfriend who did the same program as me, you know, she stands by me and she knows what I'm about. Uh. The symbol of the program is a heart on fire. That's the Augustinian symbol. So I'm equipped with all these tools um, that I didn't have before. Mm. And I've started out, like, you know, I've been walking away from home for a long time now. Mm. And at the mouth of the cave, Inside there is everything that I'm afraid of, the things inside myself, the things outside in the world. And I I feel like this next phase, I, I don't know how it's going to look, but mm-hmm. I think it's slaying down some of those demons, uh, even if one of those demons is my own ego, which it will be. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. it is every day. Yeah, and I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, when I dream and daydream lately, the people that come to mind are like Bruce Lee and um, <laughs> Bruce Lee and Goku and Indiana yeah, dude, and, yes. <laughs> you know all the all those heroes that you know are more impressive than killing the dragon or whatever it was they defeated themselves mm. and that's that's true mastery so that's my goal in life is to be um, a humble master so mm. not a master of the world or the universe or anybody else but a master of myself mm. so mm. But first I gotta go in the cave and that's what this stage is Amen. Hero enters the cave. I love that. I love that. And the last question is if you had to put a title to the book of your entire life up until this moment, what would you title that book? Hmm. The Kindness of Strangers. 
Mm. Mm. But that is, that's gotten me through every single stage so far, and I'm sure we'll continue to do so. And I, I think that's a quote from a famous woman, author, American, and the name is escaping me. Mm. But she said, all my life I've depended on the kindness of strangers. I, I wouldn't be alive and breathing and talking to you without all the people that have sacrificed and given me life and, and the chance to keep living and to, to have a future to, to move towards. It comes in material, material blessings, spiritual blessings, you know, just offering to talk with me and speak with me. You know, you, a few weeks ago, you know, you were a stranger to me and your, your kindness of sharing your story on the CVM blog and inviting me to talk with you, so the kindness of strangers. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I really appreciated your answers and just um, hearing more about you, who you are, what you've been through, and your story. So I, I really appreciate you and thank you on behalf of all of uh, starting with this story. Um, appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much, Sean. I really, really love Michael's story, and I hope you resonated at least with a part of his journey. His undeniable transparency, his loving heart, and his iconic last name truly bring a smile to my face. I'm so happy that we were finally able to share this episode with you and for you guys to hear a little bit from him. I want to take this time to challenge you guys to take some of Michael's advice to better your own lives. Now that can mean starting to journal or expressing kindness to others or even just meditating for five minutes a day. I want to challenge you guys to embrace what you've heard today and implement the lessons into your own life. Try it out and maybe you'll find something that really resonates with you. Now this interview in particular really hit me hard after listening to Mike's experience with loss. I wanted to do something special and commemorate the loved ones that we've all lost. And so, I want to dedicate this episode to Mike's brother, Timothy McCormick, and his partner, Cody Medley. As you heard, Timothy and Cody both were involved in a fatal car accident while serving under Indianapolis's emergency medical services. Tim and Cody were both undeniably radiant individuals that truly served to help others and are still remembered today as incredibly honorable men. So in honor of Timothy and Cody, all proceeds and donations for this particular episode will go to the Supporting Heroes nonprofit organization. Supporting Heroes serves the families of EMS, fire, and police personnel who are killed in the line of duty. Now, to make a donation and view the entire tribute to Tim and Cody, please visit us at startingwithastory.com slash tribute. You can also send some love to Michael or just reach out to him if you want to hear more of his story and keep the conversation going by sending him an email at mccormick4 at gmail.com. Again, thank you guys so much for all of your love and all of your support. If you enjoyed this episode or something resonated with you from the story, 
Tell us about it. Let us know your thoughts and experiences. If you found value in this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, leaving a review, or even sharing it with your friends. Lastly, if you have a story or know someone that does that you think would connect with others, shoot me an email at share at startingwiththestory.com to potentially be interviewed for a future episode. All of the music in today's episode was originally composed by Bryson Kemp. Check him out at brysonkempmusic.com. I want to be able to connect with people and connect people to each other through storytelling. Now you can be a part of that journey as well. Go out there and share your story. This is John Lee on Starting With A Story, signing off. Stay safe, stay you.